listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Wirt and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This week, we are doing something we've never done before: talking to a supplier and the brand they produce for together. Relationships between brands and suppliers can be contentious, but it doesn't have to be that way. And our guests this week prove it. Sarah is director of operations and finance for Shikobag. Shikobag is a registered B Corp whose mission is to eliminate single-use waste, especially plastic. As part of that mission, they sell reusable shopping bags and totes. Which brings us to Aryan, the CEO of Pactix. Pactix is a manufacturing company based in Cambodia, and they're also the company making the reusable shopping bags and totes that Chico Bag sells. We actually did an interview with the owner of Pactix, Pete Holton, back in episode three, and that episode focuses primarily on the challenging relationship Pete had with one of its better-known customers in the luxury eyewear industry. So it's nice to have a chance now to be able to feature a very different kind of brand-supplier relationship. Arian and Sierra paint a picture of what the Pactix Chico Bag relationship looks like. How did it come about? How do they work together? And how is this relationship different to other brand supplier relationships they've experienced? We also get into transparency and how open Chico Bags and Pactix are about costs. And that takes us into something we've talked about a lot on this show: shared risk and the conditions that made this open. Transparent communication between brand and supplier possible. Pactix is special to us because it's where Jesse and I met. We both used to work there, and though we are no longer Pactix employees, we were both heavily involved in production for Shikobag. So it was a real pleasure to get to revisit that relationship with a totally different hat on, so to speak. And we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast, or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. So maybe we can start by going back to the origins of the Pactix Chico relationship. And Arian, on your side, I'm curious to hear from you why Pactix was looking for customers like Chico, and what specifically it was about Chico that appealed to you. And Sierra, on your side, why Chico was new, looking for new suppliers, and what it was about Pactix that appealed to to you. The origins of our relationship go back, I think, to 2017. Um, when in the past Chico Bag has produced mainly in China,、um, our suppliers had always been in China. We had two relationships, and one of those was coming to an end、uh, for various reasons. And so we were looking for a different supplier. At the same time, there was threat of tariffs, increased tariffs,、um, and the future in that regard looked a bit uncertain.、Uh, Also, costs had been creeping up.、Um, making things in China was not exactly the same as it was ten years prior,、um, and over that time period,、uh, 
costs had increased. Um, our relationships were were good with our suppliers, but uh, the world was changing. And so I believe at an outdoor retailer show, Andy, our owner, he met Pete. From there, there were discussions um, around Pactics, and there were a couple other players in Cambodia that we were uh, looking at. And it was really clear to us once we looked at the other options that Pactics was a great fit for us. Is all your production now being done by Pactics? Or I would say most, most of our production is done by Pactics. We still have uh, a brand to go wear, which is a line of bamboo utensil sets that uh, are done in China. And so that's the main product line that remains there. And there's some supply chain reasons for that and other just uh, you can only do so much at one time. Uh, but we have talked about exploring uh, options for bamboo in Cambodia as well. Can I ask um, if you're willing to share any more detail about, like you mentioned that um, you, Pactics, it was obvious or it struck, it was very clear that Pactics was a good fit relative to other options. Can you elaborate or are you willing to elaborate on why that was? Absolutely. Uh, so Chico Bag has a long history of doing things a little different than others. Uh, transparency in our supply chain is really important to us. It's really important to our customers. We're a certified B Corporation. That happened a little uh, further down the line. But as part of all of these affiliations that we have and um, as part of our brand, trust with our customers is is a big deal to us and openness around where your products are made, how they're made, the impact that that makes. Ultimately, our goal is to not create waste, not do any harm, to leave the world a better place than we found it. And um, manufacturing is not always, <laughs> doesn't always provide that result. <laughs> and so <laughs> you have to be careful. To in say the, the least. Yeah. So the decisions that you make, uh, have an impact and we measure that impact at every step. And so um, we've come up against struggles. We ask weird questions. We um, dive deeper than a lot of brands do into how things are made and why they're made and what the alternatives could be. When we saw that Pactics was already doing a lot of the things that we had been hounding our suppliers to do, basic things like take care of your employees, have time cards, follow the laws, uh, provide the the insurances that are required, have emergency exits and training on, on what happens if there's a fire, have fire extinguishers. Um, because at the end of the day, that's that's what it's all about to us is having a brand that people can trust um, and finding partners that we can trust so that that exploration exercise is uh, it can be fun. It can be enjoyable um, instead of just a, a thorn in their side. So, Aryan, how about on your side? Why was Pactix looking for customers like Chico and, and what was it about Chico that appealed to you? Or to Pactics? That was very simple, of course, because we had one big customer. Look, look you mean prior to working with Chico, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, before prior working, yeah, it was 90% of the portfolio. Uh, and at the moment, it's 30%. So that is the that is the shift we made in the four years. Um, and um, with, with decreasing prices, um, a market that is really squeezing, that is basically low labor only, 
and you know that one day that will end. So you have to add more value than just uh, cut uh, uh, a square piece out of a fabric, I guess. So, um, and then we looked in all kinds of opportunities and travel and luggage was then one of the options. And then the US, of course, uh, because of the tariffs. Um, and then looking for the right size of companies. Um, and what was the right size for, for us is companies that, um, uh, some, something between two and 10 million or so, you know, not too big because then, uh, I think the, 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 the added value of Pactish is that we can provide a couple of services that the smaller companies maybe not always have in house. So you, you can do a little bit of extra than just producing. Uh, th that is, uh, that is one. Um, but also to um, build a relationship where both uh, uh, are in basically the same situation, which is, of course, with the big brands, not the case. They just throw the things at you. You have to make it a certain price. And if you don't, they go to somebody else or they pull it away. So it's not a conversation. It's just yeah, you have to do it. And if you don't do it, then it's gone. So uh, uh, talking about uh, sustainable supply chain uh, on websites is all very nice, but in the end, of course, uh, it's just a money thing. Um, and we were looking for clients who appreciated the things we were doing, like uh, Sharon said, already. Uh, so we're also willing maybe to pay a little bit more. It's not an awful lot more. It's just a little bit more. Uh, so you can create uh, reasonable uh, working conditions uh, and, and let people um, work in, a, in an environment where you probably want to work yourself or could work. So uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of um, uh, sharing the same values. And it was clear that Chico was doing that because the environment was high, social dimension and so on. So there you have already something in common. Uh, and then you only have to see if it, if, if it fits the price. Uh, and then you see that Chico was also willing to pay probably a little bit more or, or differently or realizing that maybe in the future they were going to pay more or whatever. Uh, we had never big discussions on prices, actually. Of course, we have always a little bit, uh, you know, is it 243 or is it 239? But uh, not essentially like this is crazy, you know, this we cannot do or whatever. Uh, and uh, we took a little bit of a gamble as well because we, we wanted a client like Chico right? because it was for us important also strategically to find out if that would work. So we went in also quite cheap. We had a lot of learning to do. We spent an awful lot of money. We made an awful lot of mistakes. Uh, and um, I think the good thing, and there I show somebody else, is that we shared that also, and we're still making mistakes. We had a meeting last <laughs> week on quite a big number of mistakes or things that go wrong. And that happens, yes. It's for both of us. It was new, uh, and, and you develop something, and there's a risk. And at a certain moment, you only have to do is acknowledge, yes, uh, we both knew it was a bit of a tricky game. Now, how are we going to solve it as, as good as possible? And that conversation uh, is, is possible uh, because we're both uh, also depending on each other, right? Uh, uh, and the same is uh, during the COVID uh, period, of course, is that uh, when the business of Chico is going down, uh, it all immediately affects us. So we try to help each other. Uh, in, in, in any way uh, you want to. One of the things that really, you know, having been part of the Pactix Chico partnership in some ways in the past, one of the things that really strikes me or that for me was very different about working with Chico relative to other customers 
was how involved you were in production and how much detail you had and knew about, and not just you, Sierra, but members across your team, like how much you understood or how well you understood how your products were made. And that made such a difference in terms of then being able to have conversations about troubleshooting or when things go wrong, being able to, you know, explain different production processes and sort of think together about how things might have gone wrong, which was really different to our a lot of our other customers who really had very little idea about how we were making the products that they were that they were buying. And I'm curious, Sierra, f- from you, um, you know, why Chico made the decision to have, uh, well, to spend so much time in Cambodia and to spend so much time at Pactix in the factory. I think somebody comes from, well, maybe not this year because of COVID, but in the past, somebody has come at least, at least once a year and for a couple of of weeks, right? Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I've never really thought about it that way. And um, I guess, we definitely are intimate with our products. Being that involved, I think it's a combination of things. It's one, our, our company culture is very much learning. We learn and we learn deeply and we try to solve problems and we try to take mistakes and turn them into opportunities. And um, that uh, spending time at the factories has kind of been something that we have always done for a couple of reasons. I think it began as a trust thing, making sure that what they're telling us is actually what's happening. And so the only way to really know that, especially in the past before video calls and and the technology caught up is go there and and see it. Um, And so if you're going to travel across the the world, we're going to make the trip worthwhile. And so that's probably where the duration comes in. And also the desire in the past to not just see where the bags are sewn, but see where the fabric is made and where it's dyed and where the screen printing happens and where the carabiners are made and where the buckles are made. And um, really every, every piece of the supply chain is something that we have seen with our own eyes at one point in time, uh, someone from the company. And so the regular visits kind of morphed into relationship building after we had that initial trust. But it's it's getting to understand your process, getting to understand the culture and the people and the um, maybe a different way of doing things. Once you see it, those wheels start turning and uh, solutions start flowing. So we see a lot of benefit in having people actually understand what's happening and bring back that knowledge. Yeah, I thought it's quite interesting because you can see so many brands or so many clients. They don't, they don't have to go so deeply into production and it, it can work. I mean, you can do your marketing, you can do your business forecasting, you can run the business as usual without going so deeply into production. Everything works. But Shikobag went so far, they even went to see how the fabric, uh, how the fabric meal work, how the dyeing is done. What touches me is Shikobag values the experiences and the knowledge from the supplier side. They are happy to hear what you think and they are happy. They expect by discussing, by open, by opening up to discussing, we could have a better design or better, de- de- uh, better solution 
better ideas of the product. When Shigobeck knows more about each step of production, they can give a better communication with their end consumers, their customers. So it makes me think for a brand when they want to, when they promise they are going to be transparent to their end consumers, it's actually not a, not just a way of saying. If you are serious about it, you really need to go so deeply into production to understand how your product is made. And Shigobeck, I think, really did that. I think it was it was of course great that Chico knew so much about the product because we didn't know anything. Uh, to be honest, of course, <laughs> they were the first Macs we made, so uh, it was very helpful. No, I, I think also we were we were eager for that kind of knowledge, and then at a certain moment, of course, it also sometimes is a pain in the ass at the same time. Oh come on! Uh, so it's it's a bit <laughs> of a but. I, I think the good thing is that uh, we 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 know that both, and we can say that also when it's going too far, and there is a kind of a way. Of telling that, and then everybody understands. So uh, it's not an issue, and there are certain limits. I, I know that certainly in the beginning, uh, because that's what we were not used with the big brands, of course, that they go into every detail, and also where it is sourced and how much it costs, and blah blah blah. We said, ho ho ho, they don't have to know everybody because it's our sourcing, and we have our shiny team here. So it was also a bit protective, of course, at the other hand. So uh, uh, and and Andy in this case, he wants to know every little detail. So I think also that changed over the years. In the beginning, it was very much that, and I think also it grew into a kind of confidence. Yes, we know now uh, that uh, that we uh, accept that uh, that that kind of yes input and uh, back off at the same time. Well, and you have some kind of trust that it's not going to be used against you. Voilà. I mean, uh, we have, uh, and yes, you know that uh, we had uh, customers that that wanted to bomb split out on uh, on on every little detail. What are you talked just attached a very sensitive word called coast shoot? Shall we? <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> yeah, coast shoot. Basically, we're talking about, yeah. yes, brand, brand clients want to go into details, but yeah. can they talk about, can we talk about coast shoot? Do we want to talk about coast shoot? Or um, what kind of condition we can talk about coast shoot, right? Kim, this is exactly about money. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, Aryan and Sierra, can you share a bit about how you got to this place where you were willing to be more open about your costs and also specifically how you dealt with forecasts and what you did when forecasts, so when Chico Bag made estimates about how many pieces they were going to buy from Pactix, what you did when those when those estimates were wrong. Because ultimately, nobody knows exactly how much they're going to sell. I mean, it would be like having a crystal ball to see into the future. Yeah, forecasting crystal ball would be... Uh... I want one of those, um, but they don't exist. So we do the best we can uh, and we're, we're rarely right, but we're sometimes close on certain lines because we have history for them. Uh, the last year has been weird and nothing's normal. So uh, looking at it from the Pactic side, really tough um, and in way more ways than it was for us. Uh, so what you say about the the brands kind of having not as much, I don't know if it's skin in the game is a good analogy, but fronting the investment, right? I guess. Yeah. And you can't really stop the train uh, quickly. So there's this effect that happens when uh, drastic shifts happen and it's a struggle. It's hard. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. And 
I definitely feel for Pactics and we try to be as good of a partner as we can and in a sense of being creative and trying to find ways to um, either sell more or uh, create something new that keeps kind of balance on both sides. I think uh, what what Chico, uh, of course, did was uh, uh, spreading the risk. We, we shared the risk. And, and I think that was uh, important. And in the, in the beginning of the of the relationship, let's say in the in the, the, the partnership, um, we had to acquire, of course, lots of materials. And then uh, Chico just made the deposit. And then, as things go, it was all kind of balanced out with invoices and so on. Sometimes also a bit of a <laughs> uh, thing to organize, of course. But that worked all. Uh, extremely well and I think we did that twice uh, mm-hmm. at least and I just want to point out one thing about the word deposit because we're throwing it around here like I think often people interpret deposit as in you know an upfront payment on a on a on a single purchase order or something like that and what we're talking about here is really something much uh, broader right which is is it's it's effectively financing for you know, a, a, a much deeper collaboration and investment in not only raw materials, but machinery, equipment, hiring additional people, capacity. Uh, and that is because I think we both understand that uh, we don't want to pull their leg and they don't want to pull our leg. And that's just the, that is, the, that is the, the starting point. You know, if you, if, you, if you have the feeling that the other party is trying to pull your leg, then you're going to be, uh, uh, well, let's wait. Uh, I wait a little bit with it and I wait a little bit with that. And, uh, not paying this or not giving them this until they pay and you get that kind of games right which is completely uninteresting and also not very constructive and now for example last week we had an interesting conversation because of we have a lot of stock actually and and there is a problem right Uh, and then uh, so we now set out a path what can we do what are all the options we can do with the material that we have or or the semi finished goods in stock uh, that we could use for other purposes uh, or make something else of it or sell it somewhere or donate it or whatever. Oh, we look at just at all the options together and we will share that that cost that comes out of it or the, the profit that comes out of it. I mean, there's one way or another that we're going to solve that because we both don't like, and I think that's the other uh, point, uh, also from an environmental point of view, that there is, a, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of kilos or, or, or meters of, of fabric rotting away in a warehouse somewhere because we once ordered it, but it's not going to be used. Right? So I think we both don't like that. That's quite interesting. Sarah Flom, Brandeside Flom, yeah, naturally talking about how to try the best to make a uh, accurate forecasting because it's very important for both sides, of course. And Ian from the uh, manufacturer side naturally talk about payment terms. <laughs> you see, when we talk about forecasting, we will talk about the payment terms, deposit, who, who pays for the fabric or how much financial risks is and when and how much financial pressure we're going to share and so on. It will explain how you can have a better partnership or how can you have a, a trust between brand and the manufacturer? I was completely surprised how easy that uh, went because I know uh, that we we looked then of course at uh, all the money we needed uh, to make uh, to make uh, this work and uh, at that moment we were uh, certainly not uh, cash rich so uh, uh, I, I remember discussing this so let's ask a deposit and we did and it was oh yeah okay 
Well, no, why not? Well, it was not a pro- not a real problem. I mean, of course, we had to go through a couple of things, but not enough because we had to sort out lots of other things later. But the the principle was quite clear. Yeah, yeah, so much money. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, and that was uh, done in two installments. I think we had the first thing. So, and that gives also enormous amount of trust that you. And we didn't sign any kind of lots of legal contracts <laughs> and loan and dip and collaterals and whatever. No, it was a. It was an easy transaction. Uh, confidence, okay. Well, yeah, uh, we, we we're going to make it work, right? And if it doesn't work, work. Then also, we're willing to, yeah, to, to to pay a little bit for the for the for the problems that that are there. It's not a difficult conversation. But I want to flip it, Aryan, because if you had asked some of the other Pactix customers for the same thing, especially maybe some higher profile customers with more brand name recognition, much larger companies, if you had asked for the same thing, there's no way you would have gotten it, right? No way. I mean, no do you way. agree? No. Right. No. no way. These these clients, let's say for us clients, these brands, uh, I think that's a much more interesting market. It's, it's, it's much nicer to work with. Uh, you don't have the stress from... Do you think size is the big factor yeah, there sure. then? Big company like Luxottica, it would be very easy for them to just move their business elsewhere. Um, it would be relatively little cost to them, whereas for a company that, like you said, it's is a little bit uh, closer in size to the size of Pactix, um, that 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 is a, a much to switch suppliers. The cost of change, the cost of finding another supplier is 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 it's just on another scale exactly and owners know owners i mean uh, and i don't know the owners of uh, luxottica uh, it's, it's 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 a completely different conversation of course i will never ever talk to the, the ceo of luxottica so it, it is it's a completely different playing field um and thus much more equal right? because the whole thing uh, and i think in many of your podcast is coming out, is the, is the, yeah, the, the, the imbalance of power, in fact. Do you think it's possible, Aryan, for a small manufacturer to have a partnership like the one you've described with Chico with a larger, let's say, mainstream, big, fast fashion brand? Like, is that... Because you would hate for people listening to think, oh, okay, so you can have partnership, but it requires a small, you know, it requires basically uh, two companies of the same size coming together. And so then then that gets me thinking like, okay, so is the message then that it would be impossible when you have two companies of very different sizes to engage? Or do you think that there would be ways that that is possible? No, I, I, I won't exclude it, but... Um... <laughs> but but I think a natural uh, mechanism is that companies want to come bigger and bigger uh, because when they're bigger, they have a better purchasing power, right? They can they can push the price. That is that is the natural kind of thing. So for sure, there will be a, a few of the bigger brands who have maybe a slightly different attitude. But brands are about shareholders' value. That's the only in the end the only thing that counts. Uh, so and and yes, there is sustainability and environmental because that is important for uh, customers and uh, customers like it, and then there will be more share all the time. But it's not an intrins- intrinsic motivation as uh, uh, a brand to do that. It is something that is forced upon 
because otherwise they have a problem. Uh, and I think it is different, of course. I mean, uh, Andy was running around in plastic bags uh, in, in the 90s, <laughs> right? So that is what he is, right? So it, it, that, that is the, the driver uh, of, of the things. And um, I think it's with... Uh, so you, you, you might be able to find a few brands that... Uh, are, are taking bigger brands that are looking at it like this, but I think it will be, it will be a tough one to be honest. I'm afraid. It reminds me of um, we. Uh, I was Jesse and I were reading a report that was put out. Um, I don't know in the fall, sometime last year, um, by Transformers mm-hmm. Foundation, which is a foundation that re- represents um, suppliers across the denim industry. And their report was um, titled Ending Unethical Brand and Retailer Behavior. And it um, it's really interesting because it's one of the few sectors, I think, within the fashion industry where the supply chain is a little bit more organized um, and sort of working together. But one of the most memorable like stat- statistics in this report that has that has really stuck with me was that they looked at all kinds of indicators or parameters uh, to assess whether there was anything that in the aftermath of COVID would have made a brand more or less likely to cancel orders. So for example, they looked at, you know, statements around sustainability, they looked at transparency initiatives, they looked at all kinds of things. And the only sort of proxy or indicator that this report came up with that gave some kind of indication as to whether a brand was less likely to cancel an order was whether it was privately owned. Which I think is really interesting, and I think maybe speaks to to um, what you are saying, Aryan, which is that so much of, I mean, okay, so size is part of this, but so much of this also probably has to do with the ownership structure of Chico, and also maybe Sierra. I don't know whether this is something um, that you've that that you could speak to more, but the fact you mentioned that Chico is registered as a B Corp, which also changes the nature of the obligations, right? Yeah, I mean, our we have one owner and he owns 100% of the company. And so it, he's not a real, t- I mean, yes, he wants results. He wants profit. He wants uh, his company to be successful, uh, but he doesn't want it at the cost of harming others or not considering others, really. And I think that it's easy to have those things become disconnected in larger organizations that are more focused on the results to the shareholders and not necessarily uh, the bigger picture. And so I, I feel fortunate that we're still a private company and there's no plans of that changing. Uh, but even if it did, the B Corporation status essentially protects the way that we do things. And so if there was an investor that came in and and purchased the company, they would have to still consider the win-win-win core value. And they would have to uphold the 1% for the planet uh, membership that we have, that we donate 1% of our, our profits back to environmental causes. And they would have to care about labor standards and about environmental principles. And um, so there are some B Corps 
that are in that world. And I'd be interested to, I guess, learn more about how they operate. Uh, so I think that ownership structure definitely influences it. And then the B Corp allows kind of the quirkiness of, of brands and the ethics of brands to be, to withstand the boardroom and to actually have to be considered as, as part of the decision-making instead of just that profit. Yeah, it's a lot of food for thought. Um, and more and more of the conversations Jesse and I are having sort of end up back with shareholders and what do we do about that? I think it was an experiment for both of us in a way. Uh, and uh, it, it, it turned out to work very well. Uh, and I think that is important to acknowledge. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.